Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Now here's your host, C.W. Hall. Hey, C.W., how are you doing this morning? You're pointing to me, so I guess I'll kick it off. This is Jay Schaefer, Health Connect South Radio, and we're this is number 63, is that right? Already. Oh my gosh. And there's an event coming up at yeah, Connect South. I'm sure everybody's already packed for Birmingham next Monday, June 27th, at the Southern Research Institute and its acad- academic and industry partnerships. And looking at the list of speakers, they added more since we spoke last week. But just go to healthconnectsouth.com, register. It's going to be a really impressive panel and a good turnout. Use Radio X as a promo code. You get a discount on your registration. And then, of course, coming up, Sooner than it seems. Save the date, September 21st for the Georgia Aquarium. And again, the the speakers aren't confirmed yet, but I was looking and talking with some of the folks at Health Connect South. It's a really impressive panel. So make sure you get, you can register now, early bird discount, Radio X coupon for our loyal listeners, September 21st, Georgia Aquarium. 120 days or so away. I haven't got that far yet, so. I was just doing the math. I'm that fast. Okay. Last year at the event at the aquarium, I met Glenn Pearson and one of his colleagues actually got to talking about him and his company, Pearson Health Tech Insights, learned a little about how they are able to facilitate the adoption and of technology and innovation within a hospital system, helping the hospitals understand, is this a good technology for us? But then also focusing on the front inside with the company that has the cool technology, the cool gadget, the cool idea that is sure that they will sell thousands or millions <laughs> it happens all the time, right? <laughs> to hospitals. And uh, Glenn's able to say, well, maybe not. This is what you need to do first. So thanks for taking some time, Glenn, to yeah. share this insight because one of the groups that we mm-hmm. spend a lot of time with here on our show is in that tech startup space. Uh, we give them a voice to talk about their innovations and what they're doing. But as, as I mentioned, it's not as easy as it might seem, even when you have a great idea. Absolutely. And, you know, the good news is that there are terrific ideas out there. I mean, one of the things I love doing about my work is that uh, I get to talk to people all the time that have great ideas and are revolutionizing the way care is being delivered. Uh, so that's the good news. The bad news is that it's very, very complicated to get something actually out in the marketplace and successful and adopted. In fact, the tagline for my company is if you build it, they might not come. Mm -hmm. And, uh, unfortunately there's a lot of that going on too. So I try to help people, um, make sure that they build it in such a way and, and promote it and know how to approach the market so that they will succeed. Well, how did this all come about? What, what, what's your background that gave you the experiences you needed to be able to interface with both sides of that equation, sure. the the technology company or the, the hospital system trying to look at innovation? Yeah, I spent 30 years working in the hospital field, uh, six years in acute care, and then 24 years at two different hospital associations, including Georgia Hospital Association right here in Atlanta. I was executive vice president for more than 19 years, and I worked with the finance area, which of course is Medicare, Medicaid, private insurance, all that data, technology, IT, communications, and then also the entrepreneurial efforts that GHA has. So that body of experience gave me exposure to the full breadth of the issues that hospitals deal with. But I've always had an interest in kind of the emerging and the disruptive and the technology piece. And that 
you know, that was a great fit for me working with the more entrepreneurial end of what GHA did. So when I retired from that, I thought, man, I just love this technology. I love being able to help introduce revolutionary and disruptive uh, items to the marketplace. So it was a natural, natural next step. Was there an experience or two during those days while you were in those roles where you saw something like what we're talking about happen, where, where it seemed like this was a great company, great idea, and it just couldn't get traction? Yeah, it happens all the time. Um, we were just chatting before we mm -hmm. went on there. There's one company, and I won't mention their name. They had a, a really, really good product, and it was involved in coordinating the um, communication among the different post-acute caregivers, so hospitals and home health and physicians and durable medical equipment and all that. And I, I thought it was a great idea, and I was actually heavily involved in trying to get them established in some of the hospitals. And unfortunately, um, you know, I lost track. And so I'm not sure quite what happened, but that, that does happen. The other side of the equation is that I've seen some really cool things actually take off. And actually I, I personally developed two successful entrepreneurial pr data projects up in Michigan before I moved down to Atlanta. And, um, you know, so I've seen how it's done. I've learned the hard way. And that's the type of expertise I try to bring to my clients to say, listen, I've been there. It's not, I, I will say I was getting a paycheck from both these organizations, from Georgia Hospital Association and also the Hospital Council of Western Michigan before that. So it's a little different being an entrepreneur when you have a paycheck from not cheering if you're going to be able to make the rent next month. So I, I won't claim that level of uh, entrepreneurship, but the process is something I'm really familiar with and I really enjoy sharing my insights with my clients. Well, I mean, well, startups are really hard, yes. even if you sell direct to consumers or you yep. have businesses lined up. Yep. So I know you keep a list of, <laughs> of things for companies that sell to hospitals right, and right. last radio show, I think you said it was up to 40 something. Yeah. What's it up? What's the list up to now? Well, the, what I call, I jokingly call the list uh, pitfalls of marketing to hospitals you didn't even know existed. <laughs> and I started with seven and I keep coming across things either, you know, as I hear people speak or as I, you know, think through situations I've seen. Last time I was here, I was up to 46. I'm up to actually 58 right now. So that means there are at least 58 things that can go wrong. And not every product or every service is equally susceptible to all of them. But I see that typically my clients about 25 to maybe a quarter to a third are things that they really need to watch out for. Can you give some examples of what you're talking about? Sure. I think one of the biggest mistakes people make, this is a little complicated, is in their ROI projections because I've seen people uh, try to sell a product or a service based on the fact that, you know, let's say we have a, a, a an imaging issue and I and the, the company says, I can save three minutes per scan you know, if you use my product or my technique or whatever it is. And then uh, if you have, uh, say, 20 procedures a day, well, I'm saving three minutes per procedure times 20 minutes, which is, you know, uh, an hour. Mm -hmm. And look at how much you're paying your technician. So that'll save you X dollars. Well, that's a nice theory. But the reality is you're not going to send the technician home at seven hours instead of eight. Now, granted, that person's time is freed up and they're doing able to do other things that they weren't previously able to do. So there's value, but you're not going to be able to write a check out of the true savings you get. Now, there is an exception to that. If it's a high volume area where you have, you know, 20 technicians or 20 nurses or whatever it is, and you can actually aggregate some of the savings and maybe reduce a position, then at that point, then you can maybe 
uh, claim that we're saving some money to to pay for this thing. But it, people kind of blithely go in there and just say, oh, yeah, we'll save you all this money. And it, um, you can almost never capture it. <laughs> so it's more efficiency, but not cost savings. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the reality is that hospitals have heard that over and over and over and over again. So no, nobody's going to believe it. You know, what I say is that a lot of people come up with ROI projections that only their mother believes, you know. <laughs> so the people on the other side, it's got kind of, and I don't mean to draw the comparison between hospital people and car salesmen, but, you know, if I'm going to buy a car, I don't think I'm going to do a very good job of outwitting the car salesman who does it all day long. And again, I don't mean any negative uh, overtones of this, but hospital people here all the time, vendors come in and say, oh, we'll save money, we'll do this, we'll do that. And it's like, okay, I've heard that before and it almost never happens. I guess in that situation, once you begin to get some use cases where your solution has been deployed, where you can say, here's an example of a hospital that's your size. Yeah that deployed our technology yep, and yep. this is their experience. But Absolutely. I guess in the early going, before you get to that commercialization phase, before you have actual paying client one, then I guess trying to get some users to beta it for you yep. on some level where you can begin to develop that even out of the blocks. Sure. And what I tell my clients is that there's kind of levels of verification of your product that you go through. And it, let's take the case of a company that's trying to develop an IT related kind of hardcore, uh, revolutionize the way data is stored or something like that. Okay. Well, the first thing I would do with that client is say, let's talk to a couple of existing incumbent CIOs. You know, you have a good idea. It sounds good to me. So the first layer is that you're talking to me <laughs> and I have 30 years work in the hospital field. I'm familiar with technology, even though I'm not a, you know, CIO or tech guy myself. So I, I have a pretty good sense of what's going to be attractive or not, but I'm not the technical expert. So let's talk to a couple of CIOs, get their reaction to it. And then, you know, they can fine tune your concept a little bit. The next level is no hospital purchase or very few hospital purchases are ever made in isolation. So chances are you're going to have to get, you know, of course, finance is going to be involved, maybe clinical departments, um, you know, communications, whatever. So uh, let's get a focus group together to get them to react to what you're saying, because there's something about the dynamic. Let's put it this way. In almost every hospital sale that's complicated, at some point, the company is going to be in front of a room full of people representing a whole cross-section of the organization. And you walk into all these you know, believe it or not, hospitals have some political overtones. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, all the uh, right. empires that are being built there. Right. So, you know, it's helpful to get in in a friendly, in front of a friendly group to say, okay, uh, discharge planning, what do you think of that? Or, you know, nursing, how does this affect you? Knowing that sometimes there's going to be interaction among the different departments, the different specialties, the different rivalries, that type of thing. So that's, that's the first level is, you know, talk to me because I have a pretty good sense. Then let's get some technical experts to refine the product. Then let's get in front of a cross-disciplinary group of people who can give you real world feedback. And then you get to your beta tests. And by the time you get there, you've worked out most of the kinks in the process. Is the beta test, is that a pilot, you mean? Yeah. Is that, yeah okay, yeah. so. Yeah. And it's really hard for tech startups. I've heard investors here in town say that they get financial projections from tech companies and they don't really pay that much attention to right. them. They say right. they bet on the jockey, not the horse. <laughs> Sounds like they can't do that in the healthcare and within the hospital. Well, there are just so many things that can go wrong. Like I said, <laughs> there are 58 things I've seen go wrong. And that's not, you know, and I tell my clients, <laughs> I'm the bad news guy because a lot of what I tell them is probably not what they want to hear. But that's the point. You get somebody 
who's an industry insider who can put, I can put my arm around them and say, listen, I've been there. I know how this works. Let me help you guide. Let me guide you through the process to increase the probability that this is going to work. So it's, it's bad news because there are a lot of things to avoid, but the good news is that it's, it's doable with a good Mm -hmm. solid product. Yeah. Has anything come off the list? Or can something come off the list? Uh, of, of, of your 58? No, list. I've never, I, I've, com- I've combined a few. You know, mm-hmm. I've seen that there's kind of some overlapping, but once it's there, it's there forever. <laughs> oh, that's that's uh, discouraging. Yeah, yeah. What's the type of company that you find yourself focused on working with? Well, I actually have six different clients and I'll kind of run through that real quickly. The one is the startups, you know, people that are just entering the field. Uh, the second one is established companies that need a tune up in their approach to the marketplace because they might've been at it for a while and realize it's a little more complicated. Maybe they've stumbled into some of the pitfalls. Uh, third one is a company with a viable product in another vertical manufacturing or, you know, some other industry. And it says, you know, with a little bit of tweaking, we can turn this into a successful healthcare product. Well, they need help in figuring out how to make that transition. The fourth group is um, an international company with a viable product overseas. Want to bring it here? Well, that's terrific because it's an established product. They have a you know cash flow coming in and all that. They don't even know how to spell FDA, <laughs> let alone understand how to you know navigate Medicaid. So you know they need help figuring that out. So that's number four. Number five is uh, investors that are trying to figure out who they ought to be supporting because obviously they want to find companies that are going to be successful in the marketplace. And then the, the sixth group is actually my, my old cohorts, the hospital field, because I'm just now developing um, a product line around helping people navigate through the readmissions issue, disaggregating that into some of the component parts. You know, readmissions is not readmissions is not readmissions. There are all kinds of reasons that go into that. So uh, I'm working with a team with some other companies that provide um, uh, insights to how to get technology adopted in in the marketplace uh, and with some hospital um, operational people, and then also seeing how technology can, can play a role in addressing some of the different parts of the readmissions problem. When we're talking about things like consulting or healthcare solutions of different kinds, um, or even products, one of the big things that we talked about earlier, one of the big things that the purchaser is going to want to see is a return on that investment. What is it going to do for me? Is it going to make my patients safer? Is it going to help us make money uh, at a faster pace? Or are we going to drop more to the bottom line through efficiency? Some sort of win for having this new gizmo or new approach when it comes to what you do it's the similar situation you've got to knock on the door of a new product company or a hospital to say Mm -hmm. hey i can help you what's the how do you how do you convey your value to them such that they go oh yeah it's worth us investing well you know i think talking about my experience and background with the insights that I'm bringing is a helpful thing. And, and, you know, I, some of my lines are a little cutesy, like if you build it, they might not come, but you know, I use that because people immediately get that. You know, what I tell them is that I can help short circuit the process and it's up to you to decide if you want to, and I'm not saying you, nobody can succeed without me. I'm not that pompous, but you know, if you can shortcut some problems, why would you not want to do that? So I just try to explain to them, you know, my successes and insights and, you know, hope that they uh, see the value. What's the relationship like? Is it more of like a a project where you're going to work with them for a period of time? Do you end up kind of becoming 
sort of an outsourced expert ongoing? How does that flow? It's all over the place. You know, I believe in being flexible to meet client needs. And if I had a, you know, a template that I force clients into that doesn't work very well. I do have a couple of standardized things I offer. I have something called the healthcare marketing tune-up program. And that consists of three parts. And this is a good entry point because it's sort of a package, you know, people get what it is. I first talk about the seven P's of marketing, like what's your product, how have you positioned yourself, what kind of promotional activities you're following, what's your pricing strategy, you know, go through those things. I look at the company and I say, this is my assessment of how you see yourselves, how you're approaching this. Um, And then the second piece of it is going through the 58 pitfalls and then I end up with a SWOT analysis the end that kind of summarizes everything. So what I do is I do a rough draft of that. I spend time looking at the company's material, their website, talking to them and all that and say, okay, here is my sense of where you're at. Here are the things I think you need to look at. Let's sit down for half a day, talk through this. You know, I have some questions, things I couldn't figure out from your website. If you're, uh, I, I don't quite understand your pricing approach or whatever it is. So let's talk that through. And in the course of that, I, we, I give them a lot of suggestions, a lot of insights. And then at the end, they get a written report, you know, final version of, of based on what we discussed. In this kind of place, how important are glossy handouts and flashy slides and things like that to make this happen? Do you mean to be successful in the hospital? Yeah, when I'm trying to sell to the crowd. Um, you know, that's hard to answer because it really depends on the nature of the product. I mean, and that's that's one of the other things that, what does healthcare technology mean? I mean, that's everything from air handling systems to, you know, clinical things. In fact, I'm giving a keynote talk in uh, in August up in Nashville for uh, Institute for Health Transformation Technology. And the talk talks about the four fronts of the healthcare revolution. One is devices and things that are patient touching, diagnostics devices. The second one is um, uh, things that help on personalized medicine, genomics and big data and all that, that helps come up with a tailored care plan for me. The third one is communications, either among providers or between providers and patients. The fourth one is standard business practices. You know, how do you schedule your OR? Um, you know, HR functions, that type of thing. So the reason I bring that up is that that's such a broad spectrum that you're dealing with everything from hyperclinical to very mundane, you know, uh, physical plant stuff. And each of those little pockets has a different expectation, a different receptivity to glossy things, or sometimes it turns off people if you have glossy things. So that's really hard to say. And do you have to do a beta for each one of those, whether it's devices or personalized medicine? Sounds like it's the same process. Well, right? yeah. See, I, I end up dealing with companies at different levels. So a mm-hmm. lot of times they've already done that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm working with a couple of companies right now in the development of some pro- projects. In fact, mm-hmm. I just had a meeting last night with a client and we're at the very front end of designing a whole new service that they want to offer to to hospitals. So that's a very lengthy process to get back to your question cw a lot of times you know it depends on where i jump in sometimes it's going from the very beginning all through the end sometimes it's just a little tune-up at the at the end of the process how, how many of the 58 pitfalls apply to once you've got the beta test seems like um, once you're there that you're not done well you know it, it's interesting you mention that because i have a good friend i'll mention his name mark goodman if you're listening mark uh, <laughs> here's a shout out he has a great idea for a uh disruptive technology product. And he says, he his approach is, he says, I have a basic idea and what I want to do before I write a line of code or do anything to begin to develop this product is work with you to go through the 58 pitfalls so that I know before I even develop the product what to avoid. 
And I thought, what a brilliant idea to use me from the start. <laughs> but no, but I mean, it really makes a lot of sense because, you know, what you're saying is let's design the product around what we know could go wrong <laughs> and to the extent that we can minimize them. So, you know, every product is susceptible to different ones of the 58. <laughs> well, and in the tech world too, they talk about pivoting all the time too. You get yeah. out there and you test it. And yep, yep. what's the fellow from LinkedIn, Reed Hoffman, said that if you're not embarrassed by your first version of software, then you waited too long. But that's a little <laughs> yeah. different in the healthcare. You can't really do that when you're dealing with, with people's health. But so the tech people have a, an advantage that they can get things out there and test it. Yeah. And there are some tech companies that were accused of that, getting a product out there, and that was their customer feedback. They had launched a product mm -hmm. and, you know, they mollify the customers that they can, and but they learn so much from that. But yeah, you can't do that in healthcare. It, well, it, it depends on where you're at. If you're dealing with like a standard business function, if it's, you know, again, operating room scheduling, you know, that's not, obviously there's no life and death implications of that or not directly anyway. Mm -hmm. So, but if you're dealing with a medical device, oh yeah, of course, you know, so really everything depends on where you're jumping in on this thing. Been talking with Glenn Pearson of Pearson Health Tech Insights. He spent a lot of time both within acute care settings, uh, hospitals, and then a number of years, almost 20 years actually, with a hospital association and 24, a, actually. Yeah, executive yeah. leadership role with them. And it seems like technology is, I mean, it's everything that we're going to be talking about in the hospitals, it's going to involve technology in mm -hmm. some form or fashion, I yeah. would think. It, yeah. I don't think this is going to going to trend down in it at all no and and we were talking before uh one i had a blog um a few weeks ago about uh it's kind of a cutesy title i hope i'm not too cutesy in what i do but the blog was called uh would you rather manage a nuclear power plant or buy healthcare technology and the point of that was that uh, if you think about it a, a manager can know everything about running a company about running a business about budgeting and controlling and all that but if they don't understand the guts of what they're actually ha having to manage that can be an uncomfortable situation so for example if i were to ask would be asked to run to a nuclear power plant i don't have the a clue as to what they do. I mean, I, I kind of understand at a high level, but if the scientist in charge of reactor number two comes to me and says, um, you know, we're in fine shape, don't worry about things. Well, if the thing melts down in three months because something went wrong, they're going to come after me because I'm the guy in charge, you know? And conversely, if they say, well, we're a mess and we're going to, we need to double our capital budget or we're going to, we are going to melt down. How do I know the difference? So, and I don't mean this unkindly on anybody's part, but a lot of times, as I said, uh, purchasing decisions involve a cross-section of the hospital organization. And there are many people that really get technology and love it within the organization. There are other people that have, uh, are focusing different areas and they're not quite sure what to make of all this stuff. So it can create some discomfort and uh, maybe lack of embracing it, uh, more of a toleration of it rather than embracing it. I think that's changing. Back to your point, I think it's becoming increasingly everywhere in healthcare and it's very exciting and i think um the field is catching up it's healthcare and hospitals are notorious for being way way behind the times on technology things mm -hmm. it's surprising right. really well it is part of it is that it's so the healthcare environment is so complex and a lot of the interoperability issues that you would think would be in place are not there because each of the systems and each of the silos is built and grew up independent of each other, never with the intention of blending together. 
So just the technical challenges of getting things to talk to each other is really big. But you also have the professional silos where, you know, you have your different disciplines, nursing and pharmacy and, you know, radio uh, technology, uh, different things that understandably are are very committed to what they do and they don't necessarily have to cross pollinate as much as, as, you know, might be helpful. It would seem that it it's relatively important regarding where you start your point of entry into that conversation. If I'm a technology solution company or a healthcare solution company of whatever kind, who I talk to first to introduce it, the concept to the hospital to essentially build internal champions, if you will. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Do you have advice on where to start? Because so, you wouldn't necessarily want to yeah. start at the very top. No, no. And it, again, everything depends on the product that you have. Um, the, the, you're exactly right. You need to find a champion. And it's surprising where that champion comes from because sometimes I have one client who had a very good clinical product. And for whatever reason, the chief medical officer of this particular hospital was his biggest obstacle. And you would think that, um, you know, the chief medical officer would often be open to new ideas. And I, I'm not judging the gentleman. I never met him. And I, you know, but so it's surprising who's going to step forward or not. Um, the, the advantage of starting at the top is that you have executive buy-in. The disadvantage is that they're probably going to kick it downstream really quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the, cha- one of the pitfalls that, you know, that, that I have seen happen over and over again is that depending on the nature of your product, let's say someone comes in with a uh, collections-oriented financial patient management, patient financial services management improvement. So what can happen is maybe the vendor, the company gets to the hospital CEO and says, oh, you know, we've run some numbers and you guys are leaving $1.2 million on the table, you know, buy our product and you'll collect that. Well, that sounds, the CEO says, wow, that's great. I'd love to get that. So first thing he or she does is call in the CFO, who then calls in maybe patient financial services. So think about it. What you're asking that patient financial services person to say is, "Ah, you're right. I'm an absolute idiot. I've been leaving all this money on the table. I should be fired. You know, so let's let's buy this product. You, get, you know, so you know, and again, I'm not being unkind to people, but the dynamic yeah, is such, right that the person with the detailed knowledge can find reasons why the product is not that good if they feel like there's a threat. Well, part of that too is because the patients aren't involved in paying for the services at the time. It's mm-hmm. different than other industries where yep. <laughs> one person delivers it, someone else pays for it. It's right. the, Part of the part of the issue there as well. Part of what we were talking about with the new product introduction. Remember, we had Kelly Bennett from T3 Labs a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about that technology changes faster than the hospitals can keep up. So Absolutely. they have weekends and evenings, doctors coming in and healthcare professionals having to learn the latest version yep. of the, this. Yep. So I could see part of it. The problem. Some. I mean, I went to the doctor and I had to fill out things on the clipboard. You know, two or three times it right. seemed like. That's way behind, but and the other side, people are learned with one side of one side tools in medical school, and then a few years later, they have to get up to date on the latest technology. And you're pointing to a really important area. Of, I also am working with another company called Revenue Sphere that that helps exactly with that problem that you've identified. Uh, how do you, the technology is changing so fast? How can organizations figure out? what the underlying problems are that the technology solves and how do we get people to embrace the change because it is such a rapid, rapid pace. 
And I would imagine that being able to have your message crafted in such a way, knowing going in that if my product is, say, built around some sort of efficiency, as we were talking about using your example before in the financial mm-hmm. services side, you must be able to, you want to be able to explain it to that person who might initially think, well, this is just going to make me look bad. Right. To be able to help them see that it doesn't necessarily threaten them that this is this wasn't available yesterday, now it is, that kind of thing. Yeah, what you said is just really important because that's the beauty of this disruptive technology because especially if a product is a newer approach, what you said is exactly right. This didn't exist two years ago. So it's no wonder that you're leaving $1.2 million on the table. Well, guess what? Now that's, that's the good news that we now have a way to crack this problem and you can look like a hero. I interviewed a guy named Bob Bean last year, year, year before. Uh, he's the CEO. He founded a pharmacogenomics company. Pharmonics. Uh, yep. And he talked about the fact that physicians hate him and hate his company. <laughs> okay. And the reason being is it's a test that shows how your body processes a medication, mm-hmm. a, a variety of medications. So Plavix being a great example there's a number of us in the population that when we take this medication, it literally doesn't get turned on. It just passes through you. It does nothing. Yeah. There's no side effects or anything. You took a sugar pill. It can be as many as 25 or 30% of the patients in certain groups that take that, that have that re- result. And so what was happening is patients would get that information and then ask their doctor about it. And the doctor felt like it made them look bad. Mm-hmm. And my response was, well, it's much like blood typing, right? Because yeah. there was a point in time where we knew that if you got a big gash and you were bleeding out, if we gave you blood, most of the time it saved your life, but sometimes it didn't. And then we had this test come along that showed, oh, you got to get a certain kind. Yeah. Yeah. And now we don't have that anymore. This is the same kind of thing. And so being able to message it to that person that exactly. this this may on the surface at first blush may look may may make you look bad, but it really doesn't. It's right. A, and that's a great analogy about the blood type because that's exactly right. We didn't used to know that and now we do. And you know it, it's a the neat thing about technology is that it's forward looking. It's saying, okay, every day is a new day. We know things now that we didn't know. We have technology, we have capability that we didn't used to have, and let's see how we can make make that improve the care we give. You talked about a number of different verticals within healthcare, for example, that you can provide some value to. Can you talk about maybe one or two examples of what is a perfect perfect example of the type of company that needs to be thinking, geez, we should probably at least have a cup of coffee with? You know, I, this sounds self-serving, but I'd say any company that's selling hospitals. I mean, I, I, I certainly don't claim to be omniscient and, you know, my Sometimes I guess I'm wrong in what I say, but, you know, I'm bringing a lot of conviction, a lot of experience and sitting down with anybody to just take a look at what they're doing. I can't, let's put it this way. I've never met a company that hasn't had to think about at least one and usually dozens of the pitfalls. So, I mean, anybody who comes in stands to benefit. One of the things that we like to do here on the show with all of our guests is try to find out, are there types of partnerships or collaborations or resources that would help you do what you need to do? Um, Do you have things like that in mind for your particular company? Absolutely. In fact, I use, I use the we a lot instead of I, I probably say I more than I should, but really, I really work with a team of people and because of my uh, 30 years experience in the field and, you know, 21 years now in Atlanta, 
um, I can reach down to a whole network of people. Um, one project I'm working on right now is involving two incumbent CIOs. Uh, the next phase with that is going to be reaching out to some associates of mine who are former hospital CEOs, hospital uh, physician executives, people that are really knowledgeable about that. So, and the other thing is that areas that I don't have expertise in, I'm very good at knowing what I do well and what I don't do well. And I am, I'm, I've been told that I undersell myself, uh, believe it or not, with all the flamboyant language I've been using today. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I do tend to back away from things if I don't feel I can do an excellent job. But I like being able to point to people that I know that can help out in that area. So I have colleagues that have expertise in the sales area of people that work in FDA issues, uh, people with more specific financial, you know, very detailed reimbursement and coding things that I don't have. So yeah, that's, that's a wonderful thing. In fact, I love referring, I'm, I've been called the ultimate connector. I know people all over the city and I love being able to help out to get people hooked up together. So i I can't tell you how many times a week, I'm, I'm sure at least four or five times a week, I'm sending an email to some group of people saying, okay, you guys need to meet each other because I think you can help each other. So yeah, informal relationships and sometimes formal relationships are great. So you're in the right place at Health Connect South because that's the yeah, mission. Exactly. Russ's that's idea what you guys are all what about. you need to do yeah. is let people break down the silos and get people. Exactly. One, one question that I had, have the hospitals set up panels to review incoming changes of technology or is each time you bring a prospect in, even if it's an international company, it's an ad hoc pull for some people here, or is there a regular group that, uh, that reviews these new innovations? Um, hospitals handle that very differently. Mm -hmm. Um, there are some places that have whole departments that do nothing but review things. So, mm -hmm. um, it, it's really all, all over the board. And it, does one work better than the other in your experience? Um, or what are the pitfalls of? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, I would say that the hospitals that have a structure in place indicate it, it, that's an indication that they realize the potential of this, and therefore they would probably be a little more open, perhaps than some others. So <clears throat> I always like to see that when a hospital has a formal process in place, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's fatal to not certainly. Right, and are there certain where do you find the startup? companies around town uh show up <laughs> i go to meetings all the time and, and you know i'm at the point where people are sending me companies all the time mm -hmm. uh, in fact i just met with two companies this week that that were introduced to right. me by someone else well one of the things i know uh, gcmi uh, tiffany uh was here the other week but that was for devices but like atv atdc mm -hmm. strongbox a lot of these places tech square they don't specialize in healthcare. is right. there any i any thoughts on if there was one well, uh, incubator that's uh, specialized in healthcare companies? Yeah, there are some here in town. Emergence is, is uh, a company that, you know, is doing that. Uh, there's NeuroLaunch. I'm mm -hmm. a mentor for both of those groups. I'm also a mentor for a group called HealthBox out of Orlando, which is a um, part of a national network. And there are incubators all over the area, all over the country. So I'm, I'm trying to get visibility. I, I spoke to the health box um, uh, class about three or four weeks ago down in Orlando, and there were some just phenomenal ideas that I saw down there. So just being out there, being about is, is really good. And like I say, people are sending referrals to me all the time. 
And of course, we'll put this out on the Health Connect South exactly. website and the Business Radio X website and get some more prospects for you as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What kind of uh, contact information do you need to share so folks can get with you if they uh, have either hospital side or or they're a technology company that needs to get with you? Sure. The the bet. Let me give you my website. It's www.pearsonhti. That's P isn't Peter E A R S O N H T I for healthtechinsights.com. And my email address is pretty clear. It's Glenn G L E N N at pearsonhti.com. Okay, and we'll put that on the website as well. And I just wanted to put a, your blogs. I don't know if you blog a couple of times a month, but they're they're well written. And Thank you. you keep saying they're catchy, but it, it's memorable. Right. You have to get right. through the clutter with all the blogs out there. So the I did remember the one about the nuclear op. You want to operate a nuclear plant? <laughs> right. Sticks in your head. Well, so see, that's that's, a, that's the thing. I I love analogies, and I love thinking about things that make connection. Another one of the blogs I did uh, had to do with. Uh, how technology ups the ante and the expectations. And one of my favorite museums <clears throat> in the world is up in uh, Dearborn, Michigan, outside Detroit. It's the Henry Ford Museum. And they have great, you know, automobiles and, you know, locomotives and aviation, all that. But they also have a display of kitchens, typical American kitchens from like 1780, you know, every 30 years, whatever. And one of the really, really interesting excuse me, interesting displays, um, and I blogged about this about a month ago, they talked about the kitchen of the early 1900s when the electric stove and the electric refrigerator was first introduced to, in the country. And the little commentary they said <clears throat> was that, interestingly, this did not cut down on the workload for the average housewife because now instead of baking one pie a week, she was expected to bake three pies a week. Mm -hmm. So the point is that technology, you know, people try to sell technology based on cost savings and time savings. Well, yeah, but you know, it's a moving target. And now if you don't have the technology, you're behind the time. So a lot of times you have to run like crazy just to stay even. Um, so anyway, my point is that I love I see analogies and pictures all over the place, and I like to draw them in to illustrate an important principle about health technology. Well, it's clear that if you have a great idea that could help patient outcomes or could help a healthcare organization improve its operations on some level, it's tempting. I can see why it's tempting to get in and say, hey, we can help you. Yeah. Well, startups are really hard, even if you're just going direct to the consumer. But if you are selling in the healthcare space, you need to go to an expert who's been there before, someone like Glenn at uh, Christian you. Health Technologies to <laughs> Insights. So what do they say? Wisdom comes from, uh, wisdom, let's see, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. So you can get, the, you can get some experience from uh, Glenn here for your startup. If you haven't done so already, go to the upper left-hand corner of the show page, the Apple logo there will take you over to the iTunes store where the Health Connect South Radio Show podcast lives and subscribe to us so you get the weekly episode downloaded straight to your device so you can listen to it at your convenience. And we hope you turn around and share this. We're all about getting the word out about these companies and what they're trying to do. And if you turn around and share it with LinkedIn and your other social media networks, you may just put information in the hands of somebody that it makes a big difference for. So we'll thank you in advance for that. Glenn, thanks for taking some time. I know you're busy. Appreciate you coming by the studio. It's been my pleasure. It's always great to talk with you guys. And I, I get very excited about this area because it it really is making a difference uh, in the way care is delivered on those four fronts I mentioned. And, and I love being part of that. That's great. And I hope everybody goes to the healthconnectsouth.com website, uses the Radio X coupon for next Monday's uh, act, 
Academic and Industry Partnerships event in Birmingham. And also save the date for September 21st. You can register now and get the early bird discount. Well, everybody here in the studio, appreciate it. Jay and Glenn and everybody out there who made us a part of your day today. We want to say thanks so much for stopping by. And uh, we look forward to catching up with you all. Same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. 